Amen. Uh, I want to ask you a question tonight. Uh, which word that I'm about to give you would best describe where you might find yourself in regards to your relationship with the G Lord Jesus right now? Let me give you four words. And as I say these words, just think about which one would best describe where you're at in your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And make it easy on you. They're all going to have a, a little C to them. So uh, the first one is confident. Confident. Are you confident? What about content? Are you content? Uh, I'm going to change gears just a little bit. What about confused? You ever find yourself confused? You know, that's, you know, the first two are pretty positive. Then you get into some of the reality ones that people struggle with. How about confused? Or what about you ever feel condemned? You feel condemned. So I'm going to give you those four choices again. And I'm not going to ask you if you're a show of hands or anything like that. So just rest easy. But confident, content, confused, or condemned. Chances are every single one of us fall within the parameters of one of those statements tonight. Maybe you've been in each one of them. I know I probably have at one time or another. But we fall within that. And those things, uh, sometimes you may feel like on, on a given day that those things describe you through the course of a day. i got to wake up real confident and all of a sudden I'm just moved from confidence to I'm just going to be remaining content. Uh, then by the end of the afternoon and everything I go through, I'm confused. And man, I lay my head on my bed at night and man, I just feel condemned. And I got to start all over again the next day. You know, generally when a person first comes to an intimate relationship with the Lord, and I'm sure this is uh, without very many exceptions, you know, everything changes. You know, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it's a, it's a well-worn verse that if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. I know when I was 18 years old and, you know, had uh, spent about three years in, in just rebellion against God. Praise, praise God, it wasn't a rebellion that took my life or uh, took me too far out of bounds that I couldn't be drawn back. But I, I remember saying to myself and just really just meditating before the Lord and, and not even realizing that's what it was, but thinking, you know what, I don't need something else to do. I don't need something else to busy me. I need to be different on the inside. Because, you know, the, the church it, that, that I've gone to, you know, they were tempted to, to entertain people my age. And you just can't entertain the world. You know what I'm saying? You know, you we try to entertain with a, with a movie night at the church. And what do they have? They have IMAX in the world. And there's just no way. We'll, we'll rent a bounce house. And what do they have? They have amusement parks that have multi-million dollar attractions. So you can't out-entertain the world. But I didn't go to church to be entertained. I wanted to be changed. I had enough of those, that lollygagging around and all that stuff that, that, that came into my flesh and the natural. I wanted to come, and if it was just spending a couple hours with Jesus, I wanted something that wasn't so much flesh because I had enough flesh. And when I say flesh, I'm not talking about just out drinking and carousing. I'm just talking about things that just strictly uh, uh, existed to, 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 to meet that carnal need and that physical desire. I had enough of that. And I wanted to step outside of that just for a couple of hours on a Sunday or whatever else and come into that place of abiding in his presence where I was changed on the inside. That's what I desired. And I'm sure everyone was for that point. And when I came to him in that place in humility and I submitted myself to him, he was faithful. He didn't just change what 18-year-old Troy Bond did for a couple hours on a Sunday, but he changed who I am. He changed my outlook. He changed everything about me. And for me, it's been about 30 years since that happened, it changed everything in my life. And you guys have probably experienced this, you know, those heavy weights and those pressures. They were just daily fixtures in your life. You know, that's what Matthew eleven twenty eight tells us, that, you know, if you're heavy burdened, if you're weighted down, come to him. 
He said he'd give you rest because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. You, you remember those days before Jesus and something came at you? You didn't have anywhere to run? You didn't have anywhere to go? I remember when Hurricane Katrina came in the city. And, and most of us here, some of you guys didn't live here at the time. But when it came, those people that would reject the gospel or reject just your act of kindness, suddenly the playing field was leveled and they were more than willing to receive it. Because they were desperate. They didn't know what they were going to do. That house that was underinsured, that job that, that they looked at each week from paycheck to paycheck, it suddenly wasn't there anymore and there was desperation. But I remember us, we didn't have much to lose anyway. We lost what we had, but it wasn't much. Because that wasn't what we were holding on to. We weren't holding on to that stack of furniture that was 15 feet high in our appliance. We, that's not what we held on to anyway. We held on to Christ. And so we didn't have the burden to think, how are we going to replace those things? We had the joy of thinking, hallelujah, we don't have to worry about that stuff now. We can go share the good news that caused us to be sustainable through these things. And so, But you see those things that come into your life, whether it's a, a difficult marriage or relationship or whatever it is, that those issues that you stressed over, why they still stared you in the face. Amen. You got saved and all those problems didn't go away. The the you didn't get the electric bill every month and it was stamp paid. You know what I'm saying? You know, people just didn't drop off, you know, free groceries at your house and your kids didn't suddenly just you know zip it up and walk in lockstep. You still had those things to deal with. But something changed and there was something different about you. It was called confidence. Something rose up inside of you. All that fear that you had, because perfect love casts out that fear, and all that unknowingness came to a confidence that was inside of you that you couldn't even explain to people. They'd look at you, Francis, and say, what are you smiling about? And you didn't really even know what to say, because you knew they wouldn't understand it. There was just something inside of you that caused you to stand up straight spiritually, where before you just couldn't even look people in the eye because there was just a desperation inside of you. Philippians 1 6 says this tonight. It says, Being confident, somebody say confident, confident of this very thing, that he which began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Christ Jesus. That's what the confidence that you had, that you knew that right when you said amen after asking Christ to come into your life, you, you knew you didn't have it all figured out. You knew that there were still things that were seeking after you to destroy you, but there was a confidence that you were going to make it. You remember that? There was a confidence that it didn't matter what was happening, that you may have to show up at that same, same angry job or whatever else, but there was a confidence inside of you because at that moment, you knew that you knew something that they didn't know. That they can act and treat you any way they want to treat you, but suddenly your identity changed it didn't really matter what anybody else thought because now you kind of had the inside scoop on something that before that you just didn't have. And so what that confidence bred in you and it bred in me was just that storm the gates of hell with a water pistol type of mentality. You know, you kind of had a new swagger. You kind of had a lean. And you kind of strutted just maybe not like that, but you kind of had something in you that just changed something and it, and it lives and it breathes and it produced an expectancy in your faith just poured out of every situation. Remember that? Why does that go away? Don't you want to live confident? And here's what happened. And somebody can say amen to this. As I say, you don't have to say it out loud. As time goes on, you face those trials. You face the tribulations. And not everyone around you shared your enthusiasm. Remember that? 
I remember getting born again and coming into my church, and man, I tell you what, I was like ricochet rabbit. That predates a lot of you folks, but some of y'all remember the cartoon. Bing, 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 ricochet rabbit. And I remember going into the church and just excited and speaking in tongues and shouting and doing all the crazy stuff. And uh, an older man in the church came up to me and kind of sat down beside me and said, you know what, it's really good, but one day you're going you're gonna to settle down and get over it. So he told me, you're going to settle down and get over it like I had the swine flu or something. <laughs> Folks, I got news for you. I never got over it. Come on. Come on. When I came to Christ, I was terminal for Jesus. Yes. That was it. I got injected. I got infiltrated. I got invaded by someone who took up residence in me. It wasn't just a quick fix that was going to wear off. But he thought so. And so we go and we face those things, and what about when no one shares that enthusiasm? Then your confidence gets challenged. Anybody ever had to face the challenge of that confidence? You think, you know, man, I heard it. They're going to want to hear it. It changed me. Certainly they're going to want to know it. I'm excited about Jesus as you walk in the middle of Piggly Wiggly or Winn-Dixie, and you're thinking, man, I'm walking in, bebopping around. Everybody else is going to get excited too. Instead, they look at you like you're crazy. So what happens? You start backing off and you start wanting to tone it down just a little bit. And the challenge doesn't come from God not being faithful, but it comes from all these outside sources. And you come to realize that he didn't send his son to die for your circumstance, but he sent his son to die for your sins. Isn't that where you get challenged many times in your confidence? Because we think, okay, I got saved. Now all my situations are going to be fixed. We find people all the time that lose heart. They say, well, if God's so loving, why does he let all these things happen? Well, they operate from the wrong premise. They think that God is some sugar daddy in heaven that you just ring the bell. And he, he didn't die for our circumstance, folks. Good, bad, or indifferent. He died to set at liberty those that are in captivity to sin. You hear me? Our North American watered-down, wide-gate gospel don't translate in even third-world countries. Go to China. And I tell you what, God is still on the throne in China. He's still in the, on the throne in Indonesia. He's still on the throne in Central America. These places that, 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 that dollar for dollar, that, that what we spend on a, on a big meal is, is a week's wage for those folks. He's no less God. But he died for the sins of mankind, whether they're in China or Indonesia or in Central America, just like he did for those right here in the greater New Orleans area. But unless you take that rose-colored glasses off and you see from a vantage point, of the eternal rather than the temporal, what happens? You lose sight of the reason that Jesus came. And that, re that realization brings you from a place of confidence to a place of contentment. What do I mean by that? Well, Philippians 4, we'll jump a couple chapters ahead from what I quoted earlier, 11 through 15. He said, not that I speak in regards to me, for I have learned in, in whatever state that I'm in to be content. He said, I know how to be abased. Anybody know how to be abased? He said, I know that means being flat broke, being in trouble, being in a bad. Anybody know how to do that? He said, I know how to be abound. I know how to how it works when everything's going good. He said, everywhere in all things, I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. He said, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you have shared in my distress. You know, a lot of times when people quote that right there from Philippians chapter 4, the all things has to do with them just being abound. 
Can you do all things when you're at base? Can you do all things in the midst of a struggle? Can you do all things when all things aren't working like you thought they ought to work? Are you still just as joyous? Are you still just as content? That's what Paul the Apostle was saying. He said, listen, there's a confidence that comes that he that began a good work in you is going to be faithful to complete it. But there's got to be a contentment even when that wanes, even when the enthusiasm, even when the excitement, even when no one else is jumping up and clicking their heels, heels, their heels with you, that you come to that place saying, you know what, God, I'm content. I'm satisfied. I realize that it's not for my circumstance, but it's for my soul that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross and rise again after three days. Contentment is not as exciting or exhilarating as confidence. But it is to your spiritual well-being what cotton is to cashmere. You know what I mean by that? It may not feel as good, but it sure does stand up to the, day, the daily rigors of life. You may look good sauntering around in a cashmere jacket, but I tell you what, you don't want it to touch anything. You don't want anybody to touch it because you're afraid of it. But you just put that old cotton T-shirt on, I tell you what, you get a lot of wear out of it. may not be as comfortable. But I tell you what, it sure hold up to the pressure. And sometimes people face difficulties or uncomfortable challenges and conflicts. Anybody been there? There's those things that they abandon. Here's what happens. You begin to abandon your prayer life. Well, you know what? I don't have time to pray anymore. I don't have time to, to sing. It'd be like telling your wife, well, I don't have time to talk to you anymore. Be like telling your children when you come over, I don't have time to talk to you anymore. I don't have time to, to speak to you. Be like going to work and the boss saying, we need to have a meeting. I don't have time for that anymore. What you do is you, ab you abandon the relationship you have with God and that one source of communication is going to give you your marching orders and give you encouragement and bring you back to that place of confidence. You abandon that. You abandon uh, reading the word. You abandon fellowship with the saints. And eventually what happens is you become shipwrecked in the faith. And you know what that does? That opens you up to offenses. It opens you up to conflict, discontentment, second-guessing previous decisions, becoming double-minded in your walk with the Lord. You know what that is? That's the third word I gave you. That's called confusion. You just don't even know. God, I thought you told me this. I said you told me this. I was convinced you told me this. But now because of all these other things, because I pulled back from the source, I pulled back from that place of abiding in you, now I'm just confused, and every other word that comes out of your mouth or every other sentence is, well, I just don't know. Remember when you knew? Remember when your testimony was, I know that I know that I know that I know? Was I'm confident in this very thing that he that began? Then it suddenly becomes, well, I just don't know what I'm going to do. I just don't know what I'm going to say. I just don't know what God wants. Folks, God is not the author of confusion. It doesn't come from him. James 3.16 says where envy and strife are, there is confusion and every evil work. You show me a person that's walking in confusion. You walk. You show me a person that is battling with those things that has the I don't know mentality, and I'm going to show you a person that is struggling with envy and strife. That's what I'm going to show you. You show me somebody's confused, I'm going to show you a person that there's an issue with envy and there's an issue with strife. Envy, because it never takes responsibility for its own actions. It says the reason that I'm unhappy, the reason that I'm unsatisfied, the reason that I'm not getting along with other people, the reason that I don't have any fulfillment is not because of me. It's because of you, Dave. 
It's because of you, Francis. It's because of you, David. It's always someone else, somebody else's problem. That's what envy says. Envy never says, listen, my problem is, is I'm not seeking the Lord. I'm not in his word. I'm not setting my face like a friend. I'm not uh, looking at those things that are above rather than those things beneath. I've allowed myself to get distracted by unmet expectations and all these other issues and strive because it's problem-focused rather than promise-focused. Do you have more confidence in the promises of God or the problems of you? See, i got to believe that there's a greater reality than what I see, and it's what God has said. That's the reality. This is what I believe. Why is it? Because God said so. We'll prove it. I don't need to prove it. God is the eternally existent one. He's the self-existent one. He don't need anybody to prove who he is or what he did. Why? Because even the creations declare, eternity declares those things. And so I can have a confidence in him because he is the Lord God. He has those omni attributes. He's all this and, and all that. And he's got an immutability. He does not change. And so I can focus upon the promises of God. And what's the dessert on that meal? Well, it's every evil work. Folks, you know what confusion is like? No disrespect to anybody. But it's like a chubby kid at a buffet line. Here's what I mean by that. It never seems to get full. It stuffs everything down its throat without rhyme or reason or consideration for food groups or caloric intake. It just needs to be fed, and it will make a meal out of anything that you put in front of it. It's got two food groups, envy and strife. It feeds off envy, it feeds off strife, it feeds, it feeds off confusion, it feeds off conflict, all of those type of things, pride and jealousy and wrath, that's what it feeds off of. And it continues to swell and it continues to blow up and it doesn't even realize that its appetite is out of control. And those are the first three words. Here's what brings us to the subject matter that we're going to be examining tonight, right here in 1 John chapter 3, verses 19 through 24. Here's what he says in verse 19. He says, our actions, somebody say, our actions. Let's personalize that, say, my actions. Wouldn't it be rather be somebody else's actions that prove everything else? He says, our actions will show that we belong to the truth. So we will be confident, say confident, when we stand before God. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, that means that we have confidence before God. And we will receive from him whatever we ask because we obey him and do the things that please him. And this is his commandment. We must believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us to. Verse 24, those who obey God's commandments remain in fellowship with him and he with them. And we know he lives in us because the spirit he gave us lives in us. Verse 19, jump back up there real quick. Here's what he said. He said, this is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Folks, in the previous study that we looked at over the last few weeks, you know, the apostle Paul, he stated time and time again in which the matter people would be identified. Children of God, children of the devil. Remember verse 10? He went on to say, here's the record. He said, the way that you identify those that are children of God versus the children of the devil is that the children of God do that which is righteous and they continue to demonstrate love towards the brethren. He gave the litmus test. He said, this is it. If you want to know if you're a child of God, you do what's righteous. Now, if you don't do what's righteous, what did he say? You're a child of the devil. Now, is that harsh? No, that's reality. That's the truth. And if I know the truth, I'm free to what? Accept the truth. So if I'm doing unrighteousness and a revelation comes and says, no, that's not okay, I can do something about it. A young woman came up to us last night. She was totally 
inebriated, came up with a young man. She was dressed very uh, sensually, had beads around her neck, intoxicated. The, the makeup that she spent a good hour or so putting on is now running down her face. And she comes walking up, staggering and stammering, talking about that she's okay, quoting all of this Catholic dialogue. And Joshua said, well, I know all that stuff you know. She said, I've been through First Communion. I know what you know. Well, I've done this, and I went to this church camp. He said, but what about your life? And she refused to answer the question. And she kept giving all her rhetoric, her religious rhetoric. He said, well, what about the way that you're living your life? And before her boyfriend pulled her off into the crowd, I said, young lady, I want to tell you something. You are not okay. The lifestyle you're living is not okay. It's not compatible with the holiness of God. And if you stood before him in that condition, he would have no choice but to vomit you from his mouth and say, depart from me, I do not know you. That's the stark reality of it. Walking with God, walking in that relationship, being known by him, is more than communication. It requires demonstration. So it is. I can say what I want to, but not everyone that says unto him, Lord, Lord, and here's the kingdom. Not everyone that walks in the altar rail and repeats a sinner's prayer goes to heaven. But those that do the will of my Father who is in heaven, whoever demonstrates that, you shall know the tree by the fruit that it bears. There's something going to come out of my life. When I plug in, when I abide in him, when I, when, I, when I see my life change and transform, something begins to come out. I begin to be in him in seasons. And God begins to produce fruit. He begins to, to, to cut away all that dross and remove those things from my life. begins to do a pruning process. And what happens? That thing that was just a potential towards fertility in him, now I'm bearing forth the fruit of righteousness and holiness in my life. So here's my test that I want to give you tonight. Are you a loving person? Are you a loving person? Well, here's the next question. How have you demonstrated that love? Because we all like to think we're loving. Oh, I'm just a little sweetie pie. Well, how have you demonstrated that? What other people call you? Loving. Well, here you go. Second test. Are you a joyful person? You think you're joyful? In his presence, there's fullness of joy. Is that what he said? So are you a joyful person? Are you a person that says, man, that person's just always got the joy of the Lord on, on their life? Or, or that person just, man, it just seems like they're just, they're just so, their outlook on things because of the Lord Jesus. So are you a Joyful person, and if you say you are, why do you act depressed all the time? Why is it that you're in the molly grubs and your face is just always hanging? And it's just like there's never anything positive if you're a joyful person because one of the fruits of the Spirit is what? Joy. joy. Do you walk in peace? Not have you fell to pieces. Right. So if you walk in peace, why is it that if you look for conflict, you're going to see you right next to it? Always got an issue with this one. That person did this. I don't like the way you looked at it. You're not having any of that peace. Well, he said that he brings a peace that passes comprehension. He brings a peace that transcends things in the natural. So you have peace in your life. Here's a good one for you folks. Are you gentle? That's also a fruit of the Spirit, right? So if you're so gentle, why do you always speak your mind rather than his heart? Now, I hear people say that all the time. Well, you never have to worry about what I think. And that's a good thing? Well, that says that you don't have any self-control. I'm just willing to speak my mind 
Well, quit speaking your mind and speak his heart. Because if all I ever do was speak my mind, I wouldn't have anybody want to be around me. You know what I'm saying? I need to have the mind of Christ. And so just because you think that you can be direct and you can speak your mind doesn't mean that's righteous. That means that you don't have gentleness and self-control operating in your life. Are there certain times that you need to reprove, rebuke with all? Long-suffering? Are you long-suffering in truth or in doctrine? Are you committed? That's a question for us. Is, is that who we are? Are we a committed people? So if we're committed, why are you so unreliable? You ever ask yourself that? God, I'm committed, but can I be relied upon? Are you generous? Then why don't I give out of my need, whether it's my time or my resources or whatever it is? Folks, 2 Corinthians 13, 5 and 6 says this. He says, examine somebody else to see if they're in the faith. Oh, I'm sorry, I've got the wrong translation here. He says, examine yourselves to see whether or not you be in the faith. Folks, when's the last time you went in for that checkup? That you got down on your face before God. You said, search me, O oh God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way within me. When's the last time that you went over the microscope of the Word of God and you said, God, I want you to sift through me. I want you to look into those dark recesses. I want you to look at those places that my happy little face and my little uh, uh, um, random acts of kindness and all those things can kind of shield from other people. And I want you to look at the thoughts and the intents of my heart. I want you to look at those thoughts that I don't communicate. I want you to look at those places that I can keep hidden away from other people. I want you to examine me, Lord God, to see if I be in the faith. He said, test yourself. He said, because surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. If not, you have failed the test of genuine faith. But why is it so important to test ourselves to whether we be in the faith? Because without it, it's impossible to please him. We have to believe that he is, and he's a what? A rewarder of those who casually seek him. I'm sorry, I don't know what translation I'm in tonight. He said he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Are you diligent or are you casual? Are you in a casual relationship with Jesus or are you in a committed relationship with Jesus? Another translation of verse 19 says, and Hereby we know that we are the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. So assuring our hearts or or our hearts resting in him doesn't really grasp this verse. I'm going to give you something. The word, you know, I'm going to go back and read it. It says, our actions will show that we belong to the truth and we'll be confident where we stand. Hereby we know that we're in the truth and he'll assure our hearts before him. It literally means to be persuaded or urged towards something. Now, the contextual connotation means this. It says, obedience breeds confidence. That's what he's saying. If we're in Christ, our obedience will bring confidence. What was that first word I gave you? Are you confident? You want to be confident? Be obedient. Because when I'm obedient, then I'm confident. Because when my kids were little and I told them to do something, you know what? If I told them to do it and they came to me and they asked me something after that, they'd have a confidence. Because they said, listen, I obeyed. And so as a result, what's going to do? Daddy's going to say yes to what I ask you next. I'm confident in that because I'm in the right relationship. Folks, if I'm walking in obedience to God, 
when I seek him, amen, I know that I'm going to come holy, I'm going to come acceptable, I'm going to present myself as a living sacrifice unto him, which is just my reasonable service, and I can be confident to come boldly in the throne of grace and mercy to bring the help that I need. Why? Because I know I was obedient. God, I did what you said. God, I obeyed your voice. God, I was faithful in that. You found me faithful. You found me seeking. You found me diligent. When the master of the house returns, will he find faith on the earth? That's what the scripture says. When he comes back, what he's going to find us so doing? Is he going to find us obedient? Is he going to find us following after him? Why? Because, well, Prophet Samuel said to obey is always better than to sacrifice. Amen? The reason that we find ourselves unsure or wishy-washy in our decision-making is that we're actually just being wishy-washy or uncommitted in regards to obeying what God has said to us. How many of you remember things God said to you a long time ago and you still haven't been obedient? Hmm? I bet if you sit down one time and you begin to say all of the, write down those things that you told somebody, you say, well, God told me to do such and such. God told me to do this. Then you go back and say, did I do that? Folks, God is not bipolar. That's right. Do you hear me? You can't say with confidence, God told me to do something, and all of a sudden change your mind and say, oh, okay, I'm sorry, I didn't do that. Okay, God, give me something else to do. Folks, you know what that's called? That's called rebellion. That's called being double-minded and unstable in all of your ways. Folks, if you don't obey God, that's called sin. And the only antidote for sin is repentance and returning and doing those things that are undone. So God spoke into your heart. He said, do something. When we don't do it, we've got to go back and do it. Otherwise, there's no way he's ever going to look into our life and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Yeah. I see it happening all the time. You folks that are in ministry are called to do something. Don't go around and give a byline and say, God told me to do something. And somebody looks for you 20 years later and says, hey, how'd that go? Well, you know what? I didn't do that. Well, I thought you said God did that. Yeah, but things didn't work out. Now, we've all heard that, haven't we? It's like, well, I thought God said, well, where does it come from? Well, it comes from not walking in obedience and not examining ourselves before him. When I'm obedient, then I'll never find myself second-guessing what I'm doing. My obedience will be fueled by my faith, and that faith will produce a confidence built upon the foundation of seeing firsthand the reliability of God when I simply submit to his will for my life. you spend more time second-guessing or just being thankful? See, I want to live a life that I don't have to second-guess. I can set my face like a flint. I can forget those things that are behind, and I can press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God, which is found in Christ Jesus. I don't have to look to the left. I don't have to look to the right. I can look at the, the stumbling blocks and make them a stepping stone, and I can say, I can care less what's happening in the natural. I can pursue after the power and the presence of God, believing with confidence that if he said it, I can believe it. Amen? Then I'm spiritually urged ahead and persuaded to continue the path that he set before me. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 on the start. I'm going to read all the way through to chapter, chapter 10, verse 6. Here's what he said. 1 Corinthians 9, 24. He said, do you not know those who run in a race? Everyone runs, but only one's going to receive the prize. Now here's his advice. He says, run in such a way that you may obtain it. Folks, are you running the race to obtain the prize? Yeah. 
Or do you just want one of the participation medals? You know, back when I ran track and field in, in, in middle school and in, in junior high, unless you placed, you didn't get a medal. That seems to me that everybody that runs, they want to give them a medal. They give them a participation medal. Everybody gets the same thing. They don't want to make them feel bad. Folks, you know how, how long I felt bad when I didn't place? I felt bad until Monday came along. It's time to practice, and I worked a lot harder because I said to myself, if I don't finish in the top three, I'm not going to medal, and I want to medal. But what have we done? We've brought that same mentality into the church, and we think on the day of judgment that we're just going to get a participation crown. And we think just because we signed up for the Jesus team that we're going to get crowned, that we don't have to run, we don't have to finish the race, we don't have to train, we don't have to do anything. But we get a uniform, and we get to act like everybody else, and, and, and the coach is required to play us so many minutes a quarter, but we don't even have to be faithful. Folks, the kingdom doesn't work that way. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. With whatever measurement you give out, it's going to be given back unto you. So if you're wondering yourself, God, why don't you use me? Well, maybe he's using it to the degree that you submitted. Maybe he's, he can only use dead people. Maybe he's only using the part of you that you've been willing to allow to die so he can put it to use. Folks, I've found by many years of ministry, the more that I submit myself, the more I become available to him and the more he's faithful to allow me to do things. Now, it's not because I have a cornered the market on talent or ability. I came in with none of those things. But I came in with a realization that the only thing that I had to offer my Jesus was just a willingness to say yes to him when he told me to do something. That's it. That's all I came with. I, I was the introvert. I was the person who didn't have anything to offer. I didn't have those things. I didn't have the communication skills. I didn't have the boat. I didn't have those things. But you know what I did get? I got the, the fact that my body became the temple of the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit of God dwelled inside of me, and I could do all things through Christ who would give me strength. Whether those things were easy, whether those things were tough, and so if you're wondering why God's not putting you in those places, well, maybe you're not willing to go where he says, but you're trying to get God to custom make you a situation that, 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 that fits into your fears, that fits into your timidity, that fits into your, your lack of commitment, that fits into your situation. You know what the answer is? Well, he said if anyone wants to be his disciple, deny self. I know what self wants, but I know what Jesus wants. Take up your cross, take up the instrument of your own demise, and imitate him. What did he do? Well, it said he humbled himself. It says that though he were a son, he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. You know why you don't see that confidence? Because you're not willing to suffer. And if you're not suffering for the cause of Christ, now I'm not talking about going and flailing yourself and doing stupid. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about those things that cause your flesh, to cause who you used to be to die. When you allow those things to happen, what happens? Now you're going to learn obedience. And obedience is going to produce a confidence in your life that's going to transcend your lack of abilities. He said, run in such a way that you can attain it, and everyone who competes for the prize is, is temperate. You know what temperance is? Self-control. It's learning self-control in all things. Uh, about nearly two years ago, um, we decided that, listen, man, we're just not healthy at all. Problems with blood sugar and blood, all these things. So we started saying, listen, we've got to get some self-control 
at the table. So we started doing that and getting healthy. About that time, we got blessed with, a, with another daughter, Kelsey. And Kelsey's one of these people that runs like a gazelle. Y'all know her. She's da, 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 da. And so I, I remember that, that, that one day we decided we're going to go out and start walking at Lafreniere Park. And so myself and Melody and Joe and Beth and Kelsey went out there. And Brian may have even been with us that day. And now we're all out there just, just ready to go. Yeah, ready to go. <laughs> Now her, da, 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 da. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, you know, man, I ain't gonna let no girl show me up like that. And so I go about three or four hundred yards at her pace and fall to the ground writhing. My legs are cramped up. I, you remember that thing, right? I'm like, please stop. I'm dying. Well, she had no mercy whatsoever. She's like, da, da, hurry up and die so I can finish my race. <laughs> Now go run with me. <laughs> so you know what I had to do? I had to discipline myself. If I was going to run the race, I had to discipline myself and bring myself under subjection. I had to say, listen, I can't just go 400 yards for Jesus and curl up in a ball on the ground and cry about somebody else. Why? Because she demonstrated that it can be done. Why? Because she kept on running. My dad was laying there on the grass begging for mercy. She kept on running. Yeah, now, 47 years old nearly, I can run a mile in six minutes and 30 seconds, and I can run 5K in under 24. But I can do that now. Now, do you think I did that overnight? Uh-uh. I did that because I fought through the pain. I fought through the circumstance. I kept running. I said, listen, I want to do it. I challenged myself, and I said, if I want to be healthy, I want to do something, I've got to stick to it. It's not just going to happen. I can't give up because I'm tired. I can't give up because of those things. So I've done that. And I've, I'm reaching goals and I keep pushing. I, I got a resting heart rate of about 55, which is insane. Why? Because I disciplined myself to do that. Folks, we do that in the spiritual realm just as well. Because in the natural, we see it. Why? Because if we're not healthy physically, what does it do? It limits, it, 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 it limits what we can do spiritually. If we get healthy spiritually and physically, what does it do? It allows us to be used for the kingdom a lot greater. Everyone who competes for the prize is tempered, self-controlled in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore, I run this not with uncertainty, not with, a, with confusion. He said, thus I find, not as one who beats the air, but he said, I discipline my body and I bring it under subjection so that when I preach to other people, I myself should not be disqualified. Folks, you know what disqualifies you? It's not a lack of gifts. It's not a lack of talent. That's not what disqualifies you. That's not what God's looking for. He's not looking for great abilities because none of us come in with the ability to do anything supernatural. He's looking for availability. The only thing that will disqualify us is a lack of commitment. When we commit our ways unto him, God will deposit things in us that have nothing to do with us. I'm telling you, there's things that I can do spiritually that if I stepped out of the call in the office of God, I would have no ability to do it. There is favor that God has given me. There is gift of faith that God has entrusted me with. That if I stepped out of that, I would not be in possession of it. So I'm not so foolhardy or so arrogant that thinks that, that, that Troy Bond figured something out or I've got a formula. I know I don't have it. So I have a confidence in Christ Jesus 
that knows that I've got the favor of the Lord. There's insane things that God has brought our way, that God has enabled us to do, that I know have nothing to do with me, except for the fact that I was committed. That I said, God, I'm going to go. I'm going to do it. I'm going to make the sacrifice, whatever it takes, Lord God, because I'm confident that I heard you and I know what you're telling me. I'm going to do it. I'm going to press. I'll, I'll, I'll struggle. I'll give that up. I'll make a sacrifice. Why? Because at the end of the day, it's not going to matter all these temple things. It's not going to matter if I drive the best car or own my own home. It's not going to matter who wins on Sunday or who loses on Monday. It's not going to matter any of those things. At the end of the day, if I'm going to obtain that prize, like Paul the Apostle said, he said, I've run my race. I've finished my course. He said, henceforth, there's a crown of righteousness that's laid up for me, and not just me, but for those that love his appearing. Now, if you love his appearing, when the Son of Man returns, he's going to look for faith. So if you have the faith that's going to welcome his appearing, where do you get it? Through diligently seeking after him. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware of all the true fathers that were under the cloud. He said, all of those passed in the sea, all of them were baptized into Moses. They were in the cloud in the sea. They all ate from the same spiritual food. They drank from the same spiritual drink. They all drank of the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. He said these things were given as an example. Folks, they all went to the same church. They all sang the same songs. They all belonged to the, to the same organization. They went to the same outreaches. They all had the same T-shirt. They all witnessed the same neat things that God did. That's basically what he's saying there to us. Is for examples, we can all hear the same thing, participate in the same events and all that stuff, see the same thing and be in the same environment, and some not get it. You hear what I'm saying? So you can be guilty or innocent by association. It really doesn't matter. Why? Because God is looking for a commitment in your heart and life. Yet the similarities in between those that endure to the end and those that pull up short of the finish line because, like that word says, they refuse to be urged to finish strong. God is just saying, let me urge you to finish strong. Let me urge you to get behind you, to push you, to say, come on, one more. Come on, one more day, one more hour, one more moment. Come on, one more year. One more sacrifice. That's what God's urging us to do in this text. Verse 20 of our text, 1 John 3, 20, he said, For if a heart condemns us, God is greater than a heart and knows all things. Verse 21, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, then we know that we have confidence before God, I ask you to open up. I said, what best describes you? Confident, content, confused, or condemned. Folks, condemnation in our lives is like the death nail of anything that's Jesus in you. Anybody ever felt condemned in you? Anybody since you've been a believer you felt condemned? You know what? I praise God for it. I, I praise God for this. That when I got genuinely born again, he liberated me from condemnation. Yeah. Liberated me from it. Now, Melanie's sitting right over here. She's known me since I was 16 years old. She married me when we were both 19. She's been with me ever since. Ask her how many days she saw me walk around in condemnation. Period. Now, were there days that I could have? Yeah, absolutely. But you know what? Ask her how many times I shook my fist in heaven. Ask her how many times she heard me say, I can't believe God did that. Ask me how many times that, she's, that I told her God let us down, or I can't believe God wasn't there for me. How many? Zero. Why? Because he's God, and I'm not. I recognize when I got saved, I got saved by the creator of the universe, 
And I was humbled. Who am I that you're mindful of me? Who am I that you would take counsel of me? Where was I when you set the stars in the sky? And I would have the audacity to shake my hand in heaven and question your glory, question your wisdom. Your ways are so much higher. Who would I be? Would I dare blaspheme his name and the character and the immutability of who he is by questioning anything he does? God forbid. You've got to be kidding me. I was bought with a price. My life is not my own. Whatever he would choose to do to me or not to do with me, I'm okay with that. Because if I wanted to save my life, I could have saved my life. But whoever saves his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for his sake is going to find it. Folks, that's what the cross bought for us. It brought us a means to have a commitment that transcends all of those things in the natural. Don't none go with me. Is that what the song says? I'm going to follow. Why? Because, folks, I'm going to break some news to you. I don't have confidence in any people in this room, including this one. You hear me? But I got confidence in him. I'm confident in this very thing that he that began a good work is going to be faithful. He's going to be faithful when my faithfulness doesn't measure up. He's going to be good when my goodness doesn't measure up. He's going to be trustworthy when my trustworthiness doesn't measure up. That's who I'm confident in. Now, I'm confident of him in you, Ronnie. I'm confident of him in you, Kyle. That's the part of you I'm confident in. Confident of Christ in us, who's the hope of glory. It's the death nail. It's both the symptom, condemnation, and the disease because it reveals and kills the person caught in its clutches. But folks, here's the sad thing. Condemnation is easily avoided because it's usually contracted through carelessness in one's relationship with the Lord. That's where condemnation comes from. It's when you get careless in following after the law. John was saying this. He said, listen. He said, if that is the battle that you're encountering, know this, God's greater than the battle. He knows what's going on in your life. He's not oblivious to that you're, the things that you're facing. He's certainly not ignorant of the self-inflicted nature of much of it. He said, if you're able to extend the clutches, you'll finally see what it means to truly have your confidence in God. That is where faith will truly be experienced as faith and not just some presumptuous notion. That's my paraphrase of what he said in verses 20 and 21, because Romans 8, 1 and 2, you know this. There's no condemnation to those which are in Christ Jesus, who no longer walk after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. How many of you are under the law? Anybody? I am. I'm not under the law of sin and death. I'm under the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. I'm not lawless. There's a, there's a greater law. It's the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. It's a higher standard, but it comes with a greater ability to adhere to that standard. Why? Because it just doesn't give me the, the, the do's and the don'ts. It gives me the ability to follow Christ Jesus because he comes inside of my life. What's the key? It's called walking in the Spirit. John 3, 16 through 21. You got this memorized. God loved the world so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God didn't send his son in the world to condemn, is that word, the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believes on him, you believe? 
that you won't feel condemned, is what he said. If you believe on him, you're not condemned. But he that believes not is condemned already. Folks, your unbelief is what will make you feel condemned. And you get unbelief when you're not truly committed in obedience unto him. This is the condemnation that light, what's that? It was Jesus Christ, the, the physical light, but he's given us the word that's a lamp unto our feet, light unto path. That light is coming to the world, but men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that does evil hates the light, neither comes to light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that does truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. Folks, write this down if you take notes. Condemnation will cause you to look inward at you. That's what condemnation is. It causes you to look at you. And it says, I can't do it. You know what? You can't. Eric, you're never going to be able to do it. Eric's not. That's what condemnation says. It causes you to look at the limitations of your flesh and say, I give up. I can't do it. Conviction causes you to look upward at him. So if it's causing me to look at me and look at my failures, I know it's condemnation. Why? Because it never was about me. It never was about my strength or my ability or my talent. But when I'm convicted, you know what it does? It draws me into his presence and it causes me to focus upon the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and look into his power and his ability to cause me to be able to truly do all things through him. Verse 22, we'll receive from him whatever we ask because we obey him. Let's back that up. We'll receive from whatever we ask because we obey him. We'll receive from him whatever we ask because we obey him. What if you don't obey him? Are you going to receive what you ask? Probably not. And do things that please him. See, you can't just obey him, but he says you've got to do those things that please him. 1 John 5.14, we'll get to that in a few weeks maybe. He said this is the confidence that we have before him if we ask anything according to his will. Then he hears us. James 4 and 3 says when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives. You ask amiss that you may spend it on what gives you your pleasure. What gives you pleasure? That which caters to the natural man. That's what meets the moment. He says you ask those things, but you ask amiss. Folks, we'll receive from him what we ask when we obey him. Whatever we want, we'll receive. But here's the problem. We obey him. What we want changes. You know what I'm saying? When you're obeying him, when you're submitted unto him, those things that you wanted when you were lost and unsubmitted, you don't want them anymore. I, I knew what I wanted before I had my plan, before I came to Christ. Man, it was all these grandiose things that just heap things upon me. But when I came to Christ, I said, I don't even want those things any longer. That's why the word can say that. If we ask anything from him, we'll receive it. If we obey and do those things that are pleasing unto him. Verse 23, this is the commandment. We must believe on the name of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. That's the command. Philippians 2, 9 says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee has got to bow and every tongue on heaven and earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. The Father. That's the command. There's no way around that. There's no, there's no way of saying, well, what about those in the third world country, those that never heard? That's the command. That's the law. That's the rule. That's the standard. There's no wiggle room. He made it easy. That's why he also gave the command to go out into all the world and preach the gospel. 
But those that believe are baptized shall be saved. Those that don't are damned. Those that don't are condemned. They can only look to themselves. They can only say, maybe I'll do enough right. But self-righteousness is always like filthy rags. I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And a book was opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. But whoever's names were not found written in the Lamb's book of life were cast in to the lake of fire. That's the condemnation that light came. The men chose to dwell in darkness. Acts 4.11 says, For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, The stone that the master builders rejected has now become the chief cornerstone. And he said, There's no salvation in anyone else because God has given no other name under heaven wherein a man can be saved. So he's the source. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. No one comes to the Father except by him. In our last verse tonight, he says, Those who obey God's commandments remain in fellowship with him, and he with them. And we know he lives in us because the spirit he gave us he gave us lives inside of us. Folks, confident, content, confused, condemned. That's usually the progression of where it is when we begin to struggle in the law. But folks, he wants to have every single one of us come back to that place of confidence in him. And where does that come from? It comes from abiding in Him. It comes from seeking Him. It comes from remaining in Him. It comes from obeying Him. Amen? That's the desire that John had for that early church. And that's the desire that he has for the church of today. Amen? Let's pray.